Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Thursday, October 12th. I'm Hannah Floor. The cast and crew of a reality television show will start filming this weekend in a popular hunting spot near Petersburg. They'll stay there for the next 40 days. That means a longer season for some local transportation and hospitality businesses, but the project is also pushing aside hunters in the middle of deer and moose season. As KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, some subsistence users in the area feel that the U.S. Forest Service didn't consider their needs when they greenlit the project yesterday. Sixteen players are about to compete in a game of survival for a potential million-dollar prize. What I imagine is like an adult Hunger Games. Outlast is a survival show where contestants are dropped into the Alaskan wilderness to compete for a cash prize. It's only had one season so far, filmed on Chichikov Island, and the competition is cutthroat. Acts of sabotage are commonplace between contestants, including, infamously, setting rival campsites on fire. The U.S. Forest Service authorized Netflix and the BBC to shoot the second season of Outlast in Little Duncan Bay, a popular fishing, hunting, and recreation area about 20 miles southeast of Petersburg. The show will bring in about 60 people to live and work on location through mid-November. But as the cast gets eliminated, crew numbers will decrease proportionally. Ray Bourne is Petersburg's district ranger. He says a few charter pilots, boat captains, caterers, and borough officials told him that this would be an economic boon for Petersburg. Again, they're bringing in about a million dollars into the community for this project. So there's economic value that way. And part of our mission in the force is to help take care of the community. In fact, one borough assembly member already has a contract to transport the film crew, Scott Newman. But not everybody in the community is happy, least of all subsistence users. Uh, Seems misguided. There's going to be some grumpy people over this. Lee Gilpin is a subsistence hunter and was speaking from the exact location Outlast is set to take place. He was out hunting moose in late September and saw the film crew staking out the coast. He says he's not thrilled about them setting up shop right in the middle of the Sitka blacktail season. He says it's a high-traffic hunting spot, especially for local kids. My daughter uh, grew up hunting in this area. Every deer she's ever killed has been inside the area that's being discussed here. She's not the only one. There's a lot of kids in Petersburg that this is where they get to go deer hunting for the first time because the access is very easy. You see, the federal government usually prioritizes the interests of subsistence users over commercial in rural areas. But not in this case. In its decision memo, the Forest Service said the filming will affect access to subsistence resources within the proposed area. But the scale of the impact on subsistence is not significant within the overall traditional use area. Bob Lynn sits on the Petersburg Borough Assembly, and his house overlooks Little Duncan. For weeks, he's watched the film crew's charter boats and planes come and go from the area. At an assembly meeting in late September, he said he was concerned for local hunters. 
and for the safety of the contestants. I can see a conflict really quick here where somebody gets shot that not intentionally but could happen. I think you might want to take a look at some different time of year. I think we're asking for some problems we don't need. Brett Uppencamp oversees special use permits for the Petersburg Ranger District. He says the Outlast crew has to follow a long list of rules to use the area. Essentially, like, if they can cut trees down or if they can have fires, um, how they're going to dispose of human waste. And for wildlife interactions, like, they need to ensure they're not overly harassing wildlife. Up in camp says those federal stipulations amount to basic leave-no-trace principles. But there's not that much on the list that specifically pertains to safety. The Forest Service opened up a week-long comment period to gather feedback on the permit. About 50 people responded. Feedback was fairly mixed. In favor, against, and just confused. Subsistence users weren't the only ones taking issue with the project. One commenter noted that the area is sacred to indigenous people. Uppencamp says the district is looking into this claim, but he and Ranger Bourne believe the filming activities won't compromise the physical integrity of the site. Altogether, Bourne says it was a tough call to make, but the land doesn't just belong to Petersburg locals. This is a a relatively high-use area. Uh, A lot of people do go through there, but again, it's not a closed area. Forest Service land belongs to all the American people, so everybody has a right to do that, to be in there. Gilpin says it all feels a little exploitative, and that even if the Outlast crew leaves no trace on the land, they'll leave behind a lost season. If you're growing up in Petersburg and you had one season of your deer hunting that you couldn't get to during high school, it's a quarter of your uh, easy access hunting area gone. You know, a quarter of the time you can hunt there has been put away so somebody could make a few dollars. And it's not the first go-around Petersburg residents have had with reality TV shows in their backyard. In recent years, some have opposed the Discovery series Alaskan Bush People, which they say casts the region in a negative light. The Outlast cast and crew will film around Little Duncan until mid-November. By that time, one determined contestant will have won their million-dollar prize, but some locals will have missed their chance to get a prize buck. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. The Alaska Marine Highway's route to Prince Rupert, British Columbia, has languished in recent years as pandemic restrictions, fleet issues, and low staffing have prevented the route between Southeast and Canada from running regularly. As KSDK Sage Smiley reports, false information circulated on social media the first week in October caused panic about the end of the route altogether. The Alaska Department of Transportation, which oversees the Alaska Marine Highway, says the state ferry route to Prince Rupert, British Columbia, isn't going anywhere. We haven't discontinued Prince Rupert on a permanent basis. Sam Dopsevich is a spokesperson for the Department of Transportation. We're not going there right now primarily because uh, we don't have the crew resources to support sending the Kennecott there, but we do. We are committed to reopening that port in the future when we have resources available to do so. A Facebook post written as a news release by a user named Robbie Marianson on October 1st stated staff and management at the Prince Rupert Terminal were clearing out personal effects because the terminal was closing for good. It wasn't a real news release, and the post has since been deleted. The post caused an uproar on the social media site and prompted official responses from Southeast State Legislator Representative Dan Ortez and the Alaska Department of Transportation. In short, it's not true. 
The Prince Rupert Terminal is not closing for good, but it is unmanned right now. Dapsovich says in recent months, the terminal had been maintained by part-time contractors, but their contract expired. He says the Marine Highway System is working to sort out a new contract. The fake press release stated the terminal was being shuttered because the Alaska Marine Highway Management allowed critical international safety certifications to expire for the Kennecott. It's one of the largest ferries in the state's fleet and one of the two that's able to dock in Canada. The other is the Mataniska, which is in major overhaul. Without enough crew for the Kennecott, both ferries have stayed tied up in Ketchikan for months. Some Kennecott certificates, which are required for international travel, did expire in April. Those certificates, called SOLAS certificates, are overseen by the U.S. Coast Guard. But Dapsovich says that doesn't mean the Kennecott SOLAS certification itself is expiring. The ship was built to SOLAS standards, and, and we maintain it and keep that safety standard in place. So there's no license to expire or anything like that. It's, it, the ship has its its certification. Dapsovich says it's standard practice to wait to renew SOLAS and other sailing certificates until a ship is out of the yard and back in service, since many of the certificates only last 12 months. A Coast Guard spokesperson confirmed that it's common for ships to wait to request renewed certificates until out of the yard. All in all, the post from Robbie Marianson contained elements of truth. The Prince Rupert Terminal is unmanned because of an expired contract, but not because it's being abandoned, the state says. The Kennecott is in the shipyard and doesn't have updated certificates, but that's standard practice for ships that aren't in service. The weak service on the route has left people stranded in recent months, but the Alaska Department of Transportation continues to publicly state it intends to resume service to Prince Rupert in the future. The Marine Highways website states the Kennecott is expected to return to service in mid-November, although that doesn't necessarily include a Prince Rupert stop. It's unclear why the individual who created the Facebook post published it like a press release. Marianson, who owns the Facebook profile, did not respond to a request for comment. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. A humpback whale calf known as Tango that washed up dead near Ock Bay earlier this summer was killed by a large boat. A post-mortem exam revealed fatal injuries, including deep lacerations on the calf's body and pectoral fin, likely caused by a propeller. And according to NOAA marine mammal specialist Susie Tierlink, Tango also had scarring from past injuries. And she says that's not unusual for whales in the area. This calf had interactions with several vessels during the course of its short life, and we see these sublethal interaction, um, unfortunately, pretty frequently. Tango was born this year to Sasha, a well-known whale that returns to the Juneau area annually. Sasha herself is easily recognizable because she has a distinct scar from entanglement in fishing gear. And that's, um, I think, a testament that they they can um, survive lots of these human interactions, but there's a lot of risks out there. NOAA does not keep a formal record of vessel strikes or entanglements in the region, but Tierlink said the area where Sasha and her calves tend to feed has high boat traffic. She added that both the whale population and the number of boats in Juneau area have been increasing in recent years, which could cause more injuries. There sometimes can be a misconception that whales know where boats are at all times, and they do pay attention to their surroundings, um, but they get distracted, they get really focused on feeding, they get, you know, in a situation where 
they're choosing which way to go and there's several boats to negotiate. Tierlink said the best way to keep whales safe is to reduce speeds. That gives whales more time to adjust and gives mariners more time to take a look around the area. NOAA guidelines also call for vessels to stay at least 100 yards away from whales. Josiah Puckatuck resigned from his seat in the state legislature on October 10th, which creates a vacancy for the governor to fill. The Alaska Beacon reports that Puckatuck was sworn in as mayor of the North Slope Borough on the same day. He's a Danupiat from Utkavik and was not affiliated with a particular party. He served in the House as an independent and joined a majority coalition made up of both Republicans and Democrats. His resignation could shake up that majority's fragile hold on power. Putkatuk represented House District 40, which takes in the North Slope and Northwest Arctic, as well as several communities in the interior. Typically, when there's a vacancy, the party of the lawmaker who held that seat nominates candidates and submits them to the governor. But since Putkatuk is an independent, Governor Mike Dunleavy will make the choice to then be confirmed by the majority coalition under guidelines set on a new ballot measure that passed in 2020. The governor has 30 days to nominate someone to fill the seat. When Anchorage hotels fill up at the start of October, traffic picks up and stores and restaurants do brisk business. It's a sign that the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention is around the corner. Native corporations and tribal organizations as well as state and federal agencies, have already begun to meet ahead of AFN. Many of these gatherings are spread out over the entire month of October. Delegates and their families also arrive early for the Elders and Youth Conference, but AFN officially gets underway on the evening of Wednesday, October 18th. Normally the convention opens on Thursday morning, but Nicole Stoops, an organizer for this year's event, says AFN has set aside Wednesday to honor veterans with an exhibit featuring the work of Bill Hess, who has photographed Alaska Native veterans for more than 40 years. There's many in black and white, there are many in color, but they're all very emotional when you look at them. And it's just just a beautiful story to behold. Also that evening, AFN will premiere One with the Whale, a documentary that tells the story of a St. Lawrence Island teenager, the youngest person in his village to land a whale an accomplishment that was overshadowed by a wave of criticism from environmental activists. Stoops says some even made death threats. And to have that type of backlash, really, it shows his emotional turmoil and how his family suffered through that, but also persevered through it. Stoops says the film will set the tone for the convention and its theme, Our Ways of Life, which will explore how values are shaped by a culture's relationship with the land. We have diverse cultures, diverse languages, but the core values are still there. Our ways of life are still very similar and how we can work together, especially when it comes to those obstacles that we face as Alaska Natives. Each region of the state will be highlighted, followed by panel discussions, in part to heal some of the risks that occurred last year when a bitter debate broke out on the last day of the convention over the Western Alaska salmon crisis. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.